0: This morning, I'm going to invite you, though, as we open the Bible together, to open up to John chapter 12. And we have a young man who's going to come and read through this passage for us. John chapter 12. Giovanni, you want to come up? And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 11.
1: Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Jesus... Judas um, Iscariot, Good. Good job. one of his disciples who he was about to betray him, said, why this anointment not for 300 denarii denari and given to the poor? He... he said this not because he cared about the poor but because he was a thief having charge of money back used to help himself what was put into it. Jesus said leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my betrayal for the poor you will Always have with you, but you will no, always have me. When a large crowd of the Jews that Jesus learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him but also to see Lazarus. whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus.
0: Amen. Thank you, Giovanni. I appreciate that very, very much. Thank you very much. John chapter 12 is one of those passages that uh, while we were gone those three months, I had opportunity just to meditate on. and a passage that I've become fully convicted by, and a, com- a passage that I think uh, fits very well into our Love Strong series, not so much because it speaks of loving one another but it speaks of our love toward the one who has loved us. And so today, I think as we come to communion, we do well to consider what's going on here at this dinner where Mary anoints Jesus' feet. And before we move on, I'd like to pray once again. Would you bow with me? Father, this is your word to us. It is recorded for us that we would not just know it, And gain greater insight today regarding it. But, Father, that we would come to live according to it. And, Lord, I confess I'm in need of growing in the area of worshiping you. And I would imagine there are those here today that are in the same position. And so, Father, today as we look at your word, may your Holy Spirit work in our hearts and may Jesus be exalted. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is it about his feet? I mean, why does she spend so much time at the feet of Jesus? Here she is, once again, described in the scriptures as being at his feet. Now this was a a feast. It was a gratitude feast. A dinner served in honor of the one who, in great display of his power, his mercy, and his grace, gave them the gift of life, or should I say, the gift of re-life, and they had wanted to show their appreciation for what he had done. After all, wouldn't you be entirely grateful to the one who raised your brother from the dead? Yeah. Yeah. And so they planned and they prepared and they presented this feast out of extreme gratitude for Jesus who revealed himself as the resurrection and the life. You see, it hadn't been all that long ago that this very same home was filled with grief rather than gratitude. For then Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary, had become sick, very sick, in fact deathly sick. Martha gathers one of her servants, I imagine, and, and says, You need to go find the master. You need to go let him know that the one that he loves is on his deathbed. Hurry, find him, bring him back. So the servant goes out searching for Jesus. And when he finds Jesus, he tells Jesus about Lazarus, the one whom Jesus loves, desperate situation, and Jesus does something that we would think uncharacteristic of love. He stays away. If you go back to John chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, uh, Dustin brought this to our prayer time Thursday, one Thursday morning, just saying how John's commentary here about this whole situation seems rather interesting. For in John chapter 11, verse 5 and 6, we read this. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's good, right? He loved them. So, it goes on to say, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two more days. (laughs) He stayed two more days longer in the place where he was. I mean, he stayed. Did Did you catch that? He loved him. But he stayed. So I can tell you this, brothers and sisters, that if you get desperately sick and nobody comes and visits you for several days, know that you are loved, right? I'm just saying, Jesus stayed. So Jesus hears from the servant about Lazarus' illness and, and Jesus knew that it would lead to death, so he stays away. He stays away. So the servant comes back to Martha, and and, and Martha asks, well, did you find Jesus? Well, yes, I did. And did you tell him about my brother? Well, yes, of course. And what did the master say? Well, he said he's going to stay there. What? Yeah, he said that this kind of illness does not lead to death, but it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified in it." it. So he's not coming? No, um, he's going to wait. And just like that, the hopes that Mary had of her brother becoming better under the master's hand is dashed to pieces. And even more so, when the doctor closes the door from the room where Lazarus is, looks at Mary with sadness in his eyes and just simply shakes his head, No, Lazarus is dead. He's gone. And, and Martha must have thought, even at that moment, if only the master would have come with my servant, if only he would have come right now, Lazarus would not have died, if only he'd come. And so by the time Jesus and his, his guys show up in Bethany, Lazarus has been in dead and in the grave for four days And Martha hears that he's coming and she meets him on the outskirts of town. And what is it she says? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's what she says. If you would have just come back with my servant, if you would have come right away, all hope would be regained. And then she kind of musters up what faith she has left and she says this, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And so Jesus replies to her. He says something that you and I often say to someone who has lost a loved one. He says, oh, he will rise again. You know how you and I say that? you'll, You'll see him again. Right? You'll see him again. Are they in heaven? Oh, yeah. Okay, well, you'll see him again. And what that does for us is it causes us to, to long for heaven, doesn't it? It, it causes us to, to, to look forward to that day when either through death or resurrection, we get to be with that loved one that we had lost. But Jesus, he doesn't mean it that way. She says, she says oh, I know I'll see him someday, I'll see him someday when he will rise again at the resurrection on the last day. But what Jesus does in, back in chapter 11 is an interesting thing, one that I had really not gotten a hold of until a few months ago. He, he says something. And, and what he says is basically this. He, he's telling Martha that, that the resurrection is much more than an event to look forward to, it's a person to believe in. The resurrection is much more than an event to look forward to, it's a person to believe in because Jesus tells her at that moment, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked Martha, do you believe this? Did you catch it, beloved? Did you catch that? See, certainly we look forward to that event, to that day when we get to see those who we have lost. We look forward to that day when our faith shall be sight. We look forward to being and spending eternity with the Lord where there will be no more sorrow and no more shame and no more sin and no more pain, right? We as followers of Christ, we have a certain hope of heaven. Absolutely. But what Jesus is saying here is beyond that. He's saying that all of this is going to take place because it is founded on a person. It is founded on Jesus. Jesus is resurrection. Jesus is life. Sisters and brothers, when you have Jesus, you have life. When you have Jesus, you have life. You have resurrection. And it's not that you will be resurrected someday. It means that resurrection power indwells you right now. It's not that you just have eternal life someday. It's that the life is in you right now. You have life in its fullest sense. You have present tense resurrection power when you have Jesus who is the resurrection and the life. Praise the Lord. Yes? Amen? Praise the Lord. So we have confidence. We have assurance of a heaven, but we have assurance of resurrection and life in us now, not simply because of what Jesus has said to Martha but even more so because of what he does with Lazarus. You see, after he says these things, he asks to be taken to the tomb where Lazarus had been placed four days ago. He asks them to roll away that rock, and Martha kind of objects a little bit. Uh, Lord, uh, he's been in the tomb four days. You know how bad that's going to smell, Lord? Right? I mean, that's what he says, or she says. Lord, he's been in there. There's going to be a stench in there. And Jesus finally talks, he, he, he talks more about belief, and he talks about seeing the glory of God, and then finally some men take away the stone, and Jesus prays to the Father more about that these people would believe who the Father is, he's going to do what he's going to do, and then all of a sudden he says, Lazarus, come out! And here comes Lazarus, right? I don't know, he probably didn't walk like a mummy, Maybe he walked straight and very strong. But the scripture says he was still wrapped in the linens and and his face was still covered in the cloth that he had been entombed with. And he comes out. (laughs) I know what you're thinking. I know the question on your mind, right? It's the question that was on my mind too. I mean, Martha is concerned about the stench. Do 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 you think that when Lazarus came out, he smelled? I mean, that's what you're thinking, right? You weren't thinking that? Oh, sorry, I put something in your brain. Anyway, I wondered that, but you know what's interesting? Jesus says to the man there, unbind him and let him go, period. He doesn't say, unbind him and let him go, take a shower. So he probably didn't stink, this was an incredible miracle. Jesus proved that He is the resurrection and the life. And so here it is a few, time, a few days later, and this feast now is in honor of the One who in His power and in His mercy and in His grace proved that He is the resurrection and the life by bringing back to life Lazarus, Martha and Mary's brother. And so what they're doing at this feast is they're seeking to honor this one who is the resurrection and the life. They seek to match their worship of Jesus with his worth. They want to reveal how much Christ is worth to them through their worship of him. They want their worship to match his worth. And each one of them will play a part. And so we read in chapter 12 and verse 2 that Martha's part is to serve verse 2 of John 12 Martha serves she serves she was doing what God made her to do to be hospitable we know that because in Luke chapter 10 when we're first introduced to Martha that's what she's doing God created her to be that kind of person and so she's serving can't you can't you can't you imagine the scene the fish over there sizzling on the hot rock next to the open fire, the bread hanging above that fire as it's baking. Ooh, can you smell that? Mmm. And as, as that starts to get ready and, and it's ear, almost done, she, she gets this stew made with vegetables and lentils spiced with herbs and she sets them before her guests. She places the figs and the grapes and the olives in several small bowls and arranges them around the table. The wine is poured and the warm bread is brought to the guests. And then the fish that has been seasoned with onions and leeks and garlic now is presented to the guests. And Martha takes great joy. She takes great pleasure in watching Jesus and his men and her brother and her sister enjoying time together and, in, and loving this meal. And, and do you see what's happened since Luke chapter 10 in Martha? See, In Luke chapter 10, Martha is upset with her sister because her sister's not helping her in the kitchen. But that's gone now. She sees now this is an opportunity to honor the one who is more than worth it. And now she takes great delight as she moves from the dining area to the kitchen and keeps going back and forth and back and forth. She is loving it. After all, now she is serving the Lord with gladness. Martha serves. And then also in verse 2, we read that Lazarus does what men do. He sits, right? That was a joke. Some of you are greatly offended, right? Actually, the scripture says he reclined. And no, it doesn't mean that he had his lazy boy there at the table. What it really means is that was the custom of the day, Tables were just a few inches off the ground. And instead of sitting at the table, one would lay on their side at the table. Their head by the table and their feet, their stinky, dirty, sweaty feet, we talked about this several weeks ago, would be away from the table. Good thing. That's a good thing. And they would eat that way. So, so Lazarus is here reclining at the table. And, and I would imagine he was right next to the guest of honor. And as you listen to the conversation it was full of laughter and joy and I'm sure some intrigue. What was it like, Lazarus? asked a disciple. Did you did you see heaven? asked another. Was it a bummer coming from heaven back to earth? And then I think Peter had to get in the conversation. And I, I don't know exactly what Peter would have said, but I imagine it'd be something like this. Hey Lord. You're gonna raise me from the dead too, right? After all, I'm the most dedicated to you. I, now that's my surmise. I I don't know if that's for sure what Peter said, but but the conversation was buzzing around the table, questions asked, answers given, and Jesus, he was just looking on, enjoying the fellowship of his men. He was he was just loving this time spent with at least 11 of his disciples. He knew that in a matter of days, these wonderful men of his, these whom he loved and cared for so much, would be scattered, fleeing in fear for their lives. Yes, it would only be days now. The father's plan of his crucifixion was, was coming quickly. And, and when that day came, he was wondering how his men would do as they mourned, as they grieved. On that day, would they be in fear Would they, as they scattered, would they be done with this whole thing? Or would they remember that they have faith in Jesus? You see, he wanted them to remember, to remember and hold on to their faith. He wanted them to hold on to faith even when it seemed all was lost. And so Jesus will take opportunity to teach these guys, these wonderful manly lugs, yet another lesson for soon there would be somebody at his feet. Yeah. Martha served. Lazarus reclined at the table. But Mary, Mary anointed. I would imagine that at some point in the supper, Lazarus kind of gave a look to Martha who was standing serving, and and Martha looks over at Mary who's watching her expectantly, and and, and Martha just gives her a little nod. And just like that, Mary gets up from the table. She goes over to a shelf that's nearby the table and she grabs this this beautiful, beautiful um, um, uh, bottle full of very, very expensive, pure nard. This is top-notch, grade A perfume. And then she proceeds to move to the feet of Jesus and there she starts pouring it on his stinky, dirty, sweaty, human feet and then wipes it with her hair. So what is it about his feet? What is it about the feet of Jesus? And I didn't see this until this week, beloved, but listen, each three times that we hear of this Mary, she is at the feet of Jesus. Have you ever noticed that before? Luke chapter 10, while Martha is busy serving and preparing the meal, the scripture says Mary is at the feet of Jesus listening to him. She must have been enthralled by his teaching, the authority that he had, yet the compassion that he shared. She, the first time we're introduced, was sitting at his feet listening. The second time we hear of Mary and Jesus, she is falling to his feet in John chapter 11. She's falling to his feet, the scripture says, as she's saying, Lord, if you would have been here, things would be different if you would have been here. But on, at his feet, she's not just listening this time, she's lifting up her burden to the Lord. And now in chapter 12 we see her a third time and this time once again she is at the feet of Jesus pouring this expensive cologne all over his feet. What is it about the feet of Jesus? What is it? See, what we understand here is that this is an act of worship. This is an act of not just Ho-hum Common Ordinary worship Much like we're accustomed to As we come to church On Sunday after Sunday after Sunday It's not the common type of worship This is extravagant worship She is pouring out This expensive perfume On the feet of Jesus In worship She's anointing his feet In worship And so this thought starts coming up as she's doing that different people react differently some as they saw this they were they were very awkward and uncomfortable they were even embarrassed they couldn't believe that she would go to such lengths of humility others were certainly uncomfortable because this was not common i just said it in fact Truth be told, in that day, as it would be in this day, this is a little risque. This is, this is not proper for a, a proper lady to do. Number one, she has her hair down, right? Number two, she's touching her hair to the feet of a man that she's not married to. This is a little risque. So others were very uncomfortable with. And then there's Judas. <laughs> Oh, Judas. Oh, Judas. That sneaky, cheeky, deceitful, scheming man, he pretended to be mad. Why? Because he wanted to give the money to the poor if they sold it. When in reality, we know, and Jesus knows, that he had been skimming from the treasury of the disciples, right? He had been taking from the top, and what he sees here is expensive perfume, about $25,000 worth in our day. That's a lot, right? And Judas is thinking to himself, oh, what I could skim off the top of that. And so he puts on this facade, we should sell this and give the money to the poor. This is preposterous, but he's in it for himself. So the question is not how much money could they get for this perfume. The question is really this, dear brothers and sisters, this is what it is. Is this act of worship too extreme and too wasteful? That's really the question. That's what John is presenting here as he presents this extravagant act of worship. She displays such a worship that would make us go, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a little over the top, isn't it? And so the question comes down to this. Is this too much? Is this a quote, unquote, waste? Should this been used in a quote, unquote, more appropriate way? No, no, no. What we're going to hear in the words of Jesus is this. Leave her alone, Judas. Because the picture, the big idea is this. Her worship matches my worth. Her worship Pouring out a $25,000 bottle of perfume matches how much I am worth. She is worshiping the most appropriately anybody has ever worshiped. This is not inappropriate. This is not a waste because her worship matches my worth. And I want to close by looking at two things, two truths that Jesus points out here about anointing Jesus' feet with our worship. These are two truths that when you and I feel like we're overdoing it in worship, these are two truths that are going on. And the first is this, to anoint Jesus' feet in worship is to recognize His limitless worth. It's to recognize how infinite His value is to us. To worship is to recognize his limitless worth. Mary pours out $25,000 worth. Her worship is costly. Now, it is, it is likely that Martha and, and Lazarus helped her buy this perfume, that they all three pitched in together to do this thing that Mary did. But nonetheless, it was costly financially, but it was also costly in her reputation, Right? It was a costly thing. I mean, what would others think? Well, here's the deal. Mary didn't care. She didn't care what others would think. She didn't care if it cost a good reputation. She didn't care if people went around, called her all sorts of names because of what she did to Jesus in an act of worship. She didn't care. It was costly, but it didn't bother her a bit. Her worship resembled a little bit of King David, didn't it? Remember King David when he comes in dancing before the Ark of the Covenant in Second Samuel, and he's dancing with barely anything on in front of the whole 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 kingdom and his servants even. And Michael, his his wife, gets upset with him, and he tells her, "Listen, at a worship for Jesus for the Lord, I will even become more undignified than this." David was ready to be uh, put down his reputation. Uh, put under because of worship and so is Mary so her worship was very expensive financially but it was very expensive of her reputation but she didn't care she was worshiping the one who was limitless in his worth but it was also very extravagant wasn't it her worship was very extravagant what is it about the feet I love this. John Piper uh, has a quote concerning this passage that I think helps click maybe a light bulb for us as we've asked that question. What is it about the feet? John Piper says this. And look, look at Jesus' feet. She pours this lavish love on his feet, his dirty, smelly, human feet. Why? And here's what he says. Because the least of Jesus is worthy of the best of us. He goes on, you don't put the best ointment on his head and the worst ointment on his feet because, he says, the lowest part of Jesus is infinitely more precious than the highest gift of man. She doesn't anoint his head with oil, which is the normal common practice. She takes this very expensive perfume and anoints his feet. This is an extravagant act of worship. It is costly and it is extravagant. Why does she do it? Because she understands the value of the one who is the resurrection and the life. She does it out of a heart of gratitude for the life that he has given. And so she worships. But the second thing I would say to you is in how Jesus answers Judas, to anoint Jesus' feet in worship is to make him first Priority. Judas answers, or excuse me, Jesus answers, Judas, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. Why? Because what she is doing is important. It, it's reminiscent of Luke chapter 10. When Martha's complaining about Mary, Jesus says to Martha, leave her alone. She's chosen the better. She's sitting at my feet listening to me. Now he's telling Judas basically the same thing. She has chosen what is of first importance here. And he says it kind of in a unique way. Verse 7 is a very difficult verse to, to translate, to interpret, to understand. And there's been many that I have read. But once again, I believe John Piper has something when he mentions that in verse uh, chapter, uh, verse 7, when Jesus says, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. John Piper believes that he's talking about a certain thing there. He's not talking about the perfume. John Piper says she's already emptied the bottle of perfume. So he's not talking about she keeping that perfume. What's he talking about? He's talking about keeping her heart of worship through my burial. See, it's gonna, times are going to get tough. Times are going to get hard. Jesus is going to go to the cross. And Jesus is saying, listen, Judas, don't infect her with your negativity. Let her keep her heart of worship through my burial. Leave her alone. That's what he's saying. And church, I have to ask this question because it's true of me as I'm sure it's true of a lot of you. But why... Why is it that we've got this notion today that when I am spiritually mature, I no longer am extravagant in my worship? Here's the deal, church. I love you, so I'm stepping on my toes as well as yours. But have you ever watched a new believer worship? Oh, man. Lord, I love you. I can't believe you saved me. This is incredible. Their worship is off the hook, right? Is that, is that still a term today? Maybe I'm dating myself. Their worship is like crazy. It's like, Lord, I just this is amazing. And they want to stand and they want to say amen and they want to shout hallelujah and they want to sing at the top of their lungs. They don't care if they're off key. They don't care if nobody else is raising their hands. They're excited to worship the one who saved them. But the problem is, we who are spiritually mature don't do that and therefore they're taught by example or perhaps even by our own words you don't do that here when you come into this place you be a baptist and you be subdued and you don't get excited and you just sing i love you lord and I lift my voice. It's almost time to go. Right? And we teach new believers that if you're spiritually mature, you don't go nuts in worship. I mean, come on! That's what that other church down the road does and we are not them. Where did we get that mentality, brothers and sisters? I don't know. I don't see it here. I think if Jesus were here today and a new believer were here in our midst and they were going berserk in their worship, Jesus would tell the rest of us, leave them alone! Leave them alone. I yelled, huh? I'm getting excited. I'm not mad. I'm just excited, okay? But I really want us to think about that. I want us to ask this question. Does my worship match his worth or uh, there, there could be two possible answers to that i hope it's no i hope uh, you're saying no i i value him so much that my worship is down here compared to his worth but maybe you're going yeah my worship matches what i think his worth to be i love you lord And I lift my voice. Let's get out of here and go home so I can eat. I don't know how you're going to answer that question, but I pray that you allow the Holy Spirit to give you that answer. Does your worship match His worth? Are you truly anointing the feet of Jesus with your worship so that somehow, in some small little token, your worship can be at least attempting to match His value, His worth in your life. I pray it's true. And I want to give you opportunity right now to seek that of the Lord. How are you doing? Does your worship match His worth? See, we have communion now. The worship team in a moment is going to come back up here and they're going, to, they're going to sing. We're going to sing some more worship songs. They're called worship songs because they're supposed to help us worship the Lord. And so let me encourage you in a few things today. First of all, let me encourage you that you have opportunity to at least attempt to have your worship match His worth in your life. Now, we're... Finite beings and our worship never really will totally match his value, his worth, his infinite value and worth. But at least we can be seeking to do that. So as we come today to the communion time, and as the, as the worship team will come forward, and we sing these worship songs, I want to encourage you in this. Don't look at anyone else. Look at Jesus Christ. Christ now you're going pastor I can't see Jesus I know that I get that I get that but focus in on Jesus don't focus in on others we're not here to worship others we're not here to be swayed by others we're here to be swayed by the Lord Jesus Christ amen so look at Jesus and offer up to him a heart of worship it might be extravagant you might stand with your hands raised high It might be in humility. You might come to the aisle and you might need to be down on your knees or maybe even on your face before the Lord in worship. You might be singing at the top of your lungs or you might have your head bowed just in prayer talking to the Lord. I don't know what you're going to need to do so that your worship matches his worth, but I want to give you an opportunity to do it. And then here's what I invite you to do. When you are ready... When your heart is there, I'm going to invite you to come to one of these tables. There's two in the back. There's two in the front. And partake of communion. You can do it individually. You can wait and do it as a family. You can grab another brother and sister in Christ and bring them forward and do that together as a, as a community. I don't know how you want to do it, but make sure this morning that your worship matches his worth. Would you bow your heads with me? And I want to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as we go into communion. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, and also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Father, we just ask that you would be glorified, that Jesus would be exalted now as we worship you for all we are worth in an attempt to let you know how much you are worth. I pray for our time now and around the communion that you would bless it and use it in Jesus' name. Amen.